This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au Well, good morning, Anchor. Thank you, Jerusha. It is good to see you here this morning. My name is Matt, lead pastor here at Anchor Church. If I've not met you before, I would love to meet you and say hi after the service. You've come on a good Sunday. This is a bit of a a recap of vision for us this week, and uh, we're going to be painting a bit of a picture of where we're heading as a church. But before I do that, I just wanted to remind you of what's coming up next week. Next week, we're launching our disciple series called Follow Me. Uh, We're really excited about this is a series that Brad Kohnman has been working very hard on and uh, we believe it's a really important series for our church to figure out what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. So we look forward to that. Next week Brad is launching that series for us so don't miss that. The second piece of news is that uh, Tash and I had our third child this last week. Levi Zion. So I think we've got a picture of him on the stage. Hopefully there he is. He was born a little bit early. He came four weeks uh, early. Uh, he's doing well now. He was The doctors were a little bit worried about him not putting enough weight on, and he had pretty severe jaundice. He was like, looked like he had a massive fake tan. It was um, it's kind of weird if you've ever seen that on a newborn. Um, Tash is still recovering, so she had a few complications in surgery, and would, we would love your prayers. Thank you for those who have been delivering us meals and praying for us. We really do value that. Um, Tash is still slowly recovering and I'm doing the kind of solo dad life and I can I just say to all the mums in the room my goodness I've got a whole new level of respect for you guys because trying to keep a house tidy and parent children at the same time is almost an impossible task so well done for all the mums who are here you guys do such an amazing job Um, I'm going to pray for us And uh, we're going to get stuck into Mark chapter 2 this morning. So please join me as I pray. Father God, we thank you that you speak to us through your word. We praise you this morning that you're a God who has a clear vision for your church. And you call us to lay our lives down just like the Lord Jesus for the sake of people encountering your grace and your love and your mercy. And so I pray this morning that you would prepare our hearts to hear what you would have to say to us. I pray that every single person in this room would hear you speak to them this morning, specifically about the part that you want them to play in your mission, in your vision. Father, we pray for our church as we think about what's coming up in the next six months, that you would go ahead of us, that you would be blessing this ministry, that you would be drawing people to yourself, that you'd be making people more mature in Christ. Father, we're excited for what's ahead and we pray that you'd prepare us and help us to walk into this season full of faith, knowing that you're trustworthy, knowing that you're good. We ask that you'd speak to us now in your word and we pray it in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. So as I mentioned, we're having a vision update and we've, this is the first year we've done it. Halfway through the year, we're kind of hitting reset and checking out what's ahead, what, what's coming up, what's next for us. And uh, in the next six months, we've got a couple of big things on the horizon. The first is on September 9th, we're launching a second service. And so we're going to multiply this service to a 9 a.m. and an 11.45 a.m. service. 10.45. Is that right? Look, if anything coherent comes out of this mouth this morning, it's a minor miracle. I think I've had no more than two hours sleep in a row for the last four or five nights. So... 
a 9am and a 10.45am service. We're going to be launching that on the 9th of September. But the other big thing that's coming up for us is that we're going to be sending our first cross-cultural missionaries and church planters, Scott and Ruth, are leaving for the Philippines in a couple of months' time. And so this morning I'm going to preach from Mark 2, and then I'm going to ask Scotty and Ruth to come up and share their vision about what they're going to be doing in the Philippines and what lies ahead for them, which we're partnering with. So we view Scotty and Ruth as an extension of our church, an extension of our vision, a mission of our purpose. Uh, and so they're a big part of what we want to see happen in the next couple of months. So... But before we do that, let me. Um, there's a leadership principle that we've kicked around at Staff in the past. It's called the difference between a problem that needs to be solved and a tension that needs to be managed. You may be familiar with that type of language. Some things are problems that need to be solved, a problem that occurs over and over again. And if the problem keeps occurring, there's a problem with the person who's responsible for that problem. It needs to be fixed. So, for example, if every single week, we have no pens to put out on the chairs so that people can fill in their connect details. That's a problem that we need to solve. Someone needs to go to Officeworks, buy new pens so that we've got pens on the chair. Other things are simply tensions that you can't really solve. You can't fix it. You can't make it entirely go away. You may be able to improve it a little bit. And there are a number of tensions that we experience in the life of our church. One of those tensions is that we have a fairly transient population due to the demographic of our church, partly the area that we live in. Uh, it just means that people are often coming in and out of, of our church. That is a problem that we would love to solve, but probably never will solve entirely. It's more a tension that we need to continually manage and try and resolve. One of the things that, uh, as we've been thinking about our, our church and this service, is that the size of this room is not simply a tension just to continue to manage because we will reach a ceiling and stop and we believe we've reached there. It's actually a problem that we need to solve and we believe the solution to a full room is to make more room and start a second service. The fact is um, that our church has plateaued in its growth over the last 12 plus or so months. That's an indication not so much of the health of our church but of the size of this room, of the capacity of this room, of um, the space that we have here, the teams that people can get plugged into. And so we believe that starting a second service is going to help us expand the space, give more opportunities for people to step up. And so if we want to reach more people, which has always been our heart here at Anchor, then we need to make more room. And so starting a second service makes sense. Now, the goal for us at Anchor has never been to maintain the status quo. We would never have stepped out in faith and planted a church if that was our driving motivation. Our driving motivation has always been to connect people with God's love, to help people encounter Jesus. And we want to do that more than what we're currently doing. And so we're still driven to this day by the same principles that drove us to plant our church in the first place. But the reality of the statistics is that almost the vast majority of churches in Australia are either declining or plateaued. There are very few churches that are actually growing. And I don't want to be a part of a church that is a part of the vast majority of statistics of decline or plateau. I want to be a part of a church that is taking ground, that is expanding, that is reaching more people, that is doing more, that is pushing further and harder. 
And so what I want to do this morning is to think about what it looks like to have that type of attitude that does that, the type of heart that we need as a church to take new ground, the type of heart and attitude that we need as a church to push into the next level. It's the type of attitude that we try to foster, the type of culture we try to generate before we first planted anchor. The metaphor I used before we planted in May of 2014 was that our, our little launch team felt like a Coke can that had been shaken up, it was ready to pop. And that's, what I, that's where I want us to head in the next couple of months as we think about launching a new service. And so this morning I want to look at a very familiar story from the Bible that I'm sure we've all heard a number of times. That's the story of the paralyzed man and his four friends who get him to Jesus. But I want to focus on some details of that story that are often just a footnote in most of the sermons. This passage, to be fair, is really about Jesus' authority to heal, his authority to forgive sins. There's a a clear part of the flow of the narrative in Mark that makes this the key point of this passage. But I've always been fascinated with some of the background details of this story here in Mark chapter 2. And I want to zoom in on some of those details and make a sermon out of a footnote. Because I think Mark has actually recorded these details for a purpose, for a reason. He's recorded the details of the attitude and the actions of these four friends, not as incidental side details, but as important details for God's people to learn from. Because there's a purpose to it. These friends go to great lengths to get their paralyzed friend to encounter Jesus. So let's have a look at chapter 2, verse 1. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he, had, that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. Back in Mark chapter 1, Jesus has been touring around and he's been in Capernaum and he's healed a number of people. And one of those people that he healed, one of those people that he healed was a leper in Mark chapter 1. And Jesus says to the leper, don't tell anyone what has happened to you. Instead, go show yourself to the priests and fulfill the rituals of ceremony, ceremonial cleansing. And clearly that leper does not obey Jesus' instructions to not tell anyone He tells everyone and so that when Jesus comes back to Capernaum, everyone has heard about what's been happening. As soon as he arrives at this house, a huge crowd gathers because they want to hear Jesus teach. They want to see his miracles. And there are some who also want to experience the healing that Jesus has to offer. But there is such a crowd that is gathered that the house is full. And even the doorway is full and the the tone of the language there is that it's so full that there is probably a crowd that is out the front of the house or around the house, down the street with people kind of straining in to hear what Jesus is teaching from inside the house. The room is full. It's kind of like, I guess, if you've ever tried to drive down Parramatta Road at five o'clock on a Friday afternoon, it's like gridlock. You just, you don't go anywhere. You sit there. You're stuck, right? Especially if you're in the middle lane. You can't go anywhere. You're just sitting there. There's cars turning right. There's cars turning left. Everyone's frustrated. Everyone's angry. No one can go anywhere. And this is the situation that these four men encounter as they turn up to this house. There's a lot of traffic. There's a lot of people. And there's no way through. A couple of weeks ago, uh, I went to the game two of the State of Origin with Scotty Buchanan. And um, on that Sunday, I think it was the 25th of June, 24th of June, was Ruth's due date. 
as their first child, and we thought there's no way that the baby is going to arrive exactly on that day. And so Ruth had purchased tickets for Scotty for his birthday to go to Origin, and she really wanted him to go. And they had a little plan. Ruth was at Lockie and Miriam's place, and if she went into labor, she would call, and if everything was okay, she would just text. And literally, as the blues start running out of the tunnel, Scott gets a phone call, and it says Ruth on it. He looks at me, bug-eyed, and he answers the phone. He says, hello? Yeah? 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 And I'm looking at him going, what? And Ruth's water had broken and her labor had started. And she said to him that she'd called the midwives and they said, you're fine, stay there and come in when you're ready. And so she said, Scotty, stay at the game. I want you to stay there. So anyway, we stayed at the game. We watched the Blues win. We took home the title. And there was this weird sense afterwards as we were leaving. Literally, I think we were maybe seven rows from the very top of the stadium in Homebush. 88,000 people. And we were like 87,500, right? That's how far back we were. And so as the game ends, everyone, 87,000 people, all start trying to leave the stadium at the same time. And Scotty's getting messages from Ruth saying, yep, you know, my contractions are here. And he's like... We've got to go. We've got to get out of here. But we couldn't go anywhere. We literally couldn't get out of there. There's so many people trying to leave. And so we're walking out to, to catch the train home. And the lines for the train were so long. We just kept walking. We next entrance, next entrance. We got to the end and we couldn't get in. And so I said, we'll just get an Uber. So I pulled the app out, tried to find an Uber. There's heaps of Uber cars around. But the app was so overloaded, it wouldn't work. It wouldn't connect. And so we meandered back to this gigantic line of people waiting for the train. And um, we just tried to push in. It was kind of like, Scott said, I'm, we'll just tell people that my wife's in labor. And then he's like, everyone's going to say, oh, my wife's in labor. Yeah, sure, buddy, my wife's in labor too. So what I decided I would do, I was just sidled up next to this security guard who was standing there. And there were a couple of guys smoking to the side. And I stepped into the line. I said, oh, I'm just trying to get away from these guys smoking. She said, I know, it's terrible. There's children around. I said, oh yeah, you know my mate here, his wife's in labor. She looks at him. She goes, really? He goes, Scotty was you know, kind of, she's not going to believe me. She did. But she said to him, how long she'd be in labor for? She'd been in labor since the start of the game. He goes, no, no, water's just broke at the start of the game. She goes, you'll be right, mate. You can come in after this family goes through. But we snuck in and we made it on the train. And then believe it or not, Ruth actually drove to the station to pick Scott up and then they drove to the hospital. <laughs> But you know, when you have those moments of like, I mean, it was somewhat stressful and I think Scotty's trying to keep his cool and not freak out. And, but we were encountered with a very large problem. 45,000 people were all trying to catch the train to Strathfield, right? Everyone is trying to get on that train and Scotty needs to get home ASAP. And so what do you do? Well, you just jump the queue, right? You just push in, you just get around the side and you, you push in. You kind of do whatever it takes to get there. Now, my guess is that there were many people that arrived that day that Jesus was teaching at that house who turned away. Perhaps it was the blind man who simply couldn't find his way through the crowd to the house. Maybe it was the leper who, who turned up and saw at a distance such a large crowd and then was so freaked out about infecting other people that he simply just turned away and headed back to the wilderness from where he came. Or maybe it was the mute woman who, who couldn't push through the crowd and say, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, because she simply couldn't generate the words to get out of her mouth. And she too turned away and went home disappointed and thought, maybe I will come back 
another day, another opportunity, another time to be healed. And, and who could really blame them, to be honest? It's difficult. There's an obstacle there. There's a large crowd. What is it about us that when we're faced with a problem, when we're faced with an obstacle, when we're faced with something that is stopping us, so often we just give up and turn away? You've got to admire those people who, you know, their first instinct, when they see a problem, their first instinct is, this is not an obstacle, it's an opportunity. Love those people. So optimistic, right? I think it takes me maybe a few moments to just process that. Firstly, it's like, this is horrendous, it's the end of the world. No, no, God's in control, it's, we'll slowly get there. This is an opportunity, yes, we can move forward, right? You've got to love those people that are just so optimistic, like, you know what, this is clearly a problem, but it's not too big, and I'm going to get over this problem. I'm going to climb this mountain. I'm going to knock this obstacle down. We're going to find a way around it. And it seems to me that these four friends don't view this crowd as an obstacle that is preventing them, but an opportunity to exercise faith, because this is what they do in verse 4. They could not bring their friend, their paralyzed friend, to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head, and they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Now, just imagine that. Imagine we're preaching, and all of a sudden, you see chunks of gyprock start falling out of this roof, and then a hole appears, and sunlight appears, and horrendous plane noise as planes start landing over our heads, starts filtering through the roof, and then it goes black, and an object appears, and a paralyzed person gets lowered. I mean... Imagine the scene, right? It's a bit crazy. This is their solution. This is their crazy idea to going around the obstacle of the crowded room and the crowded door. They think to themselves, I know, let's dig a hole and we'll winch our friend through the roof. It's the only way around it. They've cut the queue. They've jumped the line. They've pushed to the front. I mean, just just remember what it was like, you know, at recess. You're lining up for the canteen at school. And someone pushes in at the front, like a year 12 prefect just decides to jump in the front. That feeling of like injustice and all the other people who are waiting in line for Jesus to heal them. And here these four guys are ripping the roof apart and putting their friend right at Jesus' feet. As you think about what these four guys did, it might be difficult for us to think about gyprock and roof tiles and all that kind of stuff. But in the first century, roofs were flat and they didn't have gyprock and roof tiles. They were made of a, a, you know, a mash of sticks and leaves and dried mud and clay. And so you, it wouldn't have required a jackhammer to get up there and you know, jackhammer through the roof or it wouldn't have required heavy machinery, simply a few small tools or maybe even by hand they could rip this roof apart and it wouldn't have been horrendously expensive to fix. Because the roofs were, were flat and made of natural materials, they often had to redo their roofing quite seasonally. And so these guys get up there, they rip the roof apart. But you've got, to, you've got to feel for the poor homeowner at that point. And we think it's Simon and Andrew. We think Jesus has turned up to Simon and Andrew's house from chapter 1, verse 29. And he's there and he's like, guys, my roof, my house, someone's got to fix this. And yet these four guys think to themselves, the risk of this, the damage that this causes is insignificant compared to the reality of getting our friend healed. What drove these four friends? What motivated this crazy idea? 
What made them see the obstacle and think this is not insurmountable, we're going to get around this? It's their friend's need. It's love. It's compassion. It's concern and care. Their friend needed to be healed by Jesus. There was a problem. Jesus was the clear solution. And they were going to do whatever it took to get their friend there. You know, a number of years ago when I was a youth pastor at a church out west, one of our youth group kids in year 10 was uh, very significantly injured in a dirt bike accident. He was uh, riding his dirt bike, hit one of those big jumps, came off somehow, broke his neck at C1, C2, right up the top here. I think that's right. Doctor's in the house. Is that right? C1, C2. I'm getting some nods. The doctors said to his parents, the best you can expect, the best outcome to this is that he will be a vegetable and on assisted breathing the rest of his life. That's the best outcome you can expect. And uh, we went in to visit and pray for Jake multiple times. We took his youth group buddies in and we prayed for him. And I've got to tell you, when you're sitting there at the side of the bed with parents and their child, who at this point is not just a paraplegic, he's a quadriplegic. He has nothing. In fact, his lungs don't even work. He has to have a machine that helps him to breathe. At that point, as I walk in, I think to myself, I would literally do anything to help Jake get out of here. We would do anything to take him back to youth group and have him run around, play youth group games with us again, have him run around with his mates, have him burn around on his dirt bike again. We would do anything. Why? Because we love him. We care for him. We feel compassion. That is what motivated these four friends. And church, I've got to tell you, when Jesus is the only solution to a city's desperate need, how can we not do whatever it takes? How can we not take risks? How can we not step out in faith? How can we not maybe just do a few crazy things to try and reach more people with the good news of Jesus? 4.6 million people in Sydney who are facing a Christless eternity, who are without God and without hope and desperately need Jesus. And God's primary mission strategy is the local church, is us, is you. That's the plan. And as messed up and jacked up as we are, and as broken as we are, and as many problems as we have, God has chosen to fill us with his spirit and send us to tell a broken world of the good news of Jesus. The friends identify a solution to their problem. His legs don't work. Jesus can fix broken legs. Let's get our friend to Jesus. We've identified a problem of our city. 4.6 million people do not glorify Jesus as he deserves. We know the solution. The solution is to get more people to encounter God's love. The action of these four friends is called faith here in Mark chapter 2. Their crazy hair, hair what is it, hair-brained, hair-bald, whatever it is, that their crazy plan is faith. You see, faith in the Gospels is never mere belief. Faith is always belief coupled with action or, 
or a belief working itself out in deeds. That's what faith looks like in the Bible. You think about the bleeding woman in Mark chapter 5. She believes that Jesus can heal her. She doesn't sit by. She gets on her hands and knees. She crawls through the crowd and she touches the hem of his garment. Or you think of blind Bartimaeus in Mark chapter 10. He's blind and he hears that Jesus is walking by. And so he consistently calls out at the top of his voice, Son of David, have mercy on me. He steps out in action. He couples that action with his belief. Faith is always belief coupled with action. And that's exactly what Jesus sees. You see what it says here in Mark chapter 2, verse 5. This is Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. Seeing their faith. How do you see faith? Faith is invisible. You can't see faith. But you can see faith worked out in action. You can see faith worked out in deeds. Faith in this story is ripping the roof apart. Faith is the crazy idea. Faith is the action that these four men take. Faith is a risk. The risk of damaging a homeowner's property. The risk of the offense of all the other people who waited in the line. And Jesus sees their actions and he calls it faith. And the outcome, their friend is healed. And an extra eternal bonus is that his sins are forgiven. And ultimately, Jesus is glorified. Because it says there in verse 12, And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out, and, uh, walked out through the stunned onlookers. So the crowd all of a sudden finds room to part as he walks out. And they were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, We have never seen anything like this. It seems at least in this instance, the ends have justified the means. God uses these four friends. He uses their crazy idea. He uses their risk and their faith. They do whatever it takes to have their friend encounter Jesus and to see him have an opportunity to heal this man and glorify the Father and have people exclaim how wonderful this is. Now, church, I've got to tell you, that has always been Anchor's heart. That's always been what we've been about, is having people encounter Jesus, in in seeing the name of Jesus made famous, and seeing the name of Jesus lifted up. That's always been our driving heart and motivation. And I want us to do more. And I think that's actually Paul's ministry philosophy. That was what Paul was on about. That's what he did. Have a look at what he says as he talks about his own ministry to the church in Corinth. This is what Paul says. Even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I too lived under the law, even though I'm not subject to the law. I did this so that I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too lived apart from the law so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I am with those who are weak, I share with their weakness. For I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything. To spread the good news. 
and to share in its blessings. I love that attitude. It's the type of attitude I want to live my life by. It's the type of attitude we find in Jesus, is it not? Who would lay his life down, who would give everything for us to encounter God's love. As we prepare for launching a second service, yes, there are some costs. Yes, there are some sacrifices. Yes, there are changes that we're going to need to make. But when we consider the need of our city, when we're motivated by love for our neighbor, how can we not do whatever it takes to see the name of Jesus lifted up, to see people encounter God's love? And this isn't the only way that we do that. We've been doing that for the last four and a half years. But I suggest to you that launching a second service is one important step for that. And so we need to make room. We need to make room for more people. There's a few seats down the front here. If you would all sit to the front, that would also help. It would make room at the back. New people would feel way more welcomed. Ran over. But I, I want to I suggest that this church is actually full of people, full of people just like these four friends, full of people who have faith, who take risks, who have a do-whatever-it-takes attitude to wanting to help people meet Jesus. I love that about our church. And one such couple are Scotty and Ruth Buchanan. And I've asked them to share their vision this morning of what is ahead for them as they head to the Philippines. This is their step. This is the step of faith that God has called them to. Not everyone is called to take a step of faith like this. I couldn't do what they're doing. We're called to do this here. But as they share their heart, their vision for what's next for them, I want you to ask yourself this question. What's my step? What's my next step? Maybe it's heading on to the, along to the, one of the serve courses that are coming up and stepping out in faith, stepping up into a ministry, maybe taking more responsibility in your GC, maybe stepping up in the team that you're currently leading in, whatever it is. If you're not serving at all, please get to the next Connect course. But there is a step that every single one of us can take. In, in seeing the name of Jesus continue to be lifted up in our city. And so I'm going to ask Scotty and Ruth to come out and share now. Why don't you give them a round of applause as they come out. G'day. I just uh, I want to make a, a disclaimer, or at least assure you, uh, that while I am very passionate about the blues, I do love my wife and my baby more than them. He's a bit of a stitch up from that there, but <laughs> um, we are truly, we are truly humbled, truly humbled um, to be able to to share with you guys a little bit about what um, God is calling us to, and and the small part that He um, has asked us, we believe, asked us to play in advancing His kingdom. Um, as you would know, uh, we have many of you would know, we've just been. Uh, touring around all the GCs and, and hanging out with a number of them and, or, you know, and getting to know people. And uh, we want to say up front that uh, we're so thankful uh, for that opportunity and we were so blessed uh, by each and every one of you. Um, thank you for opening your homes to us. Uh, thank you for fellowshipping with us, for, for praying with us, praying for us. Uh, we feel so encouraged and, and we want to echo um, what Matt has said, that this place is, is full of people that are um, doing incredible things. We had a rare insight into the broader Anchor community, um, and we're so blessed and encouraged. This is a fantastic family to be a part of. Be encouraged. You're a part of something really special. 
um, this body of Christ and the greater body of Christ. Um, so be encouraged. A big part of Anchor's DNA or, or ethos is uh, that we would be a community on mission. Our mission is at the heart of, of Anchor. Uh, and Ruth and I feel led um, to be uh, an extension of Anchor's ministries uh, and be everyday missionaries in the nation of the Philippines. Uh, we are doing this because our greatest desire, our greatest desire is to see God glorified, um, to be obedient to Him no matter what the cost, uh, and to play our part in advancing the kingdom of God. We hope, we 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 hope, and we pray that uh, God would use us. Um, in his, in his plan of advancing his kingdom, to, to see people come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, uh, that we would see multitudes of people come to know Jesus and move from death to life, uh, and that they would become disciple-making disciples. Um, we really feel called um, particularly to those who are forgotten in society. Um, so those who are marginalised, um, those who are pushed out to the fringes. Um, we believe that's God's heart. Um, God is actually um, a loving God who wants to bring all people to himself. And he has such a, a special place in his heart for those who um, even uh, the world reject. And so we feel called, yeah, to the forgotten. Um, those, yeah, on the fringes, those who are... Um, are seen as less valuable in the Philippines. Um, so the place we're moving to um, is the island of Mindoro uh, and specifically to the town of Portugalera. Um, so it's just south of Luzon, the main island. And the reason um, we want to move there, um, one is Scott's been visiting this island for 11 years now and has lots of friends and contacts there. But also there's a huge need in the town of Portugalera. Um, there are a number of... Um, types of people who are on the fringes of society in this town and um, we want to be part of reaching them and being light hopefully in a dark place. Um, a bunch of these types of people that live in this town um, include children who have been abandoned and um, abused um, amongst the poor and um, there's sex trafficked women and children, boys and girls, as well as cross-dressing men, boys as well. Um, and there's also a bunch of unreached um, indigenous tribes that live up in the mountains um, who are treated worse than dogs in, in this community. Um, they've been forgotten about, um, people don't speak their language and they certainly don't have access to the gospel. Um, and so we want to partner with the locals there, with our friends. Um, we want to partner with them and seek to serve to reach out to those who've been forgotten about. Um, yeah, so we have a number of friends that um, are in the Philippines and they have asked us to join them. And as Maddie was just preaching about, you know, the, the four men, they, they saw a problem and they, they worked at finding a solution um, to get their friend healed and to get their friend to Jesus. And our friends in the Philippines um, have seen a problem in this community and they're working on a solution and they've asked us to be a part of that solution. And so um, we're not the answer, but we're just a small part of what they're hoping to do and their vision over there. And, um, and so, yeah, looking at the demographic of the people that live in this place, there are huge needs. 
and a huge part of that, um, their vision, and this is our vision um, to see, is one, that people would come to know Jesus, and the way we want to do that is by holistically caring for people. Um, so uh, our friend Letty, her vision is to set up refuge homes on the island for women and children who've been trafficked. Um, she's hoping to set up a foster care system. Um, there's currently no foster care system. There's only one orphanage on the island, um, which is not the best solution, um, as well as disability support and care um, for families and those with disabilities. That's just three parts of her like seven-part vision um, for this island. And so we're going to go and just serve and play our small role in whatever we, whatever we can do. Um, yeah, and so the main thing, I guess, is looking at this huge vision is just that whoever God puts in our path, whether it's a little child that we foster, whether it's a woman that we help see come out of sex trafficking, whether it's just the shop owner down the street, um, our, our vision and our heart is just to love, love each person that comes our way and seek to share the gospel and demonstrate the gospel um, to them. Uh, so we plan to leave in October. We don't have a specific date um, set yet because there are a few factors um, that our, our moving is dependent on. Uh, so firstly, we've got a little bundle of joy here um, and we want to be wise in um, making the transition overseas. So we're just making sure that we're coping as parents um, and that she's doing really well. Um, there's good signs. She's been an amazing little little girl. Um, she's going to be a great little missionary. She's pretty flexible, which we're excited about. Uh, and the other... Uh, factor that our leaving in October is dependent on is finances. Uh, so we need 100% support um, of our two-year budget uh, before Pioneers, our sending agency, will allow us um, to go overseas. So we have about 30% roughly um, to go of that. Between, between now and October, uh, we are going to continue to fundraise uh, and prepare ourselves and our lives for the transition of going overseas. There's a, there's a lot to, to get done, as you can imagine. Uh, we also are trying to be really intentional about caring for our family um, in this process um, and uh, because you know, we're taking the grandchild away. Um, and so we want to help them transition as well. When we arrive, uh, hopefully in October, we're going to be doing uh, a one-month orientation in Manila uh, with the Pioneers base in the Philippines. Uh, from there, we're going to then uh, set up house in a coastal town called Batangas, which is a boat ride away from where our final destination will be. And we hope to spend roughly around uh, a year and a half to two years there uh, being really intentional about language and cultural studies. Uh, we feel as though um, if, if we're going to serve these people as best we can and humbly, we need to immerse ourselves in their culture um, and, and learn their language, learn their heart, uh, and so, yeah, so we can best serve them. Uh, as well, we are moving as though we're going full-time. Um, full sorry. So uh, we may be there forever. It just depends on what God leads us in next. Um, so we thought it would be really good to lay some strong foundations um, culturally if we're going to be there uh, long term. Uh, while we're also doing uh, language and cultural studies, I'm doing a church planting internship or apprenticeship with Acts 29. And that is a, an apprenticeship called Churches in Hard Places, which is 
uh, a contextualised program training pastors up um, to learn how to plant amongst those who are marginalised. So, um, yeah, I guess we would love you guys to consider um, your part to play in this. We know that, yeah, that so many of you guys are already on mission to this city and um, we couldn't, as Maddie said, like he couldn't go to the Philippines. I feel like we can't stay in Sydney. <laughs> um, and so it's just really cool that God's calling so many of you guys to this city. Um, but yeah, we'd love it if you would consider also playing a part in um, freeing us up to be able to do this work full-time in the Philippines. Um, we see that as an absolute honour and privilege, and we know many of you um, work your jobs and then do mission on this, like through that and in that and on top of that. Um, but we're asking and seeking that people would generously give and support us so that we can be freed up to do this full-time and not have to work jobs on top of mission. Um, so, yeah, a few ways that you guys can um, consider um, partnering with us. So firstly, yeah, financially, um, as Scotty said, we've got about 30% to go. We'd love to get that 30% in this month so that we can think about booking flights and actually getting over there in October. Um, on your seats, there is a prayer card, which also has details of how you can give um, through Pioneers. Please take that home. Please pray for us. Um, we really need a team of people who will um, regularly pray for us. Um, it takes, yeah, it takes prayer warriors to consider us and to bring us before the throne of God. Um, we know we can't do it on our own and there'll be many days where we're so weak and, um, and we need all of you guys to be uplifting us and bringing us before God and asking that he would strengthen us and provide for us and give us everything we need. Um, so please pray for us. Um, if you'd like to receive our updates, you can come up to the Connect desk. We're going to be up there after the service. Um, if you want any more details about what we've spoken about, um, you can sign up to receive our emails. Um, and yeah, uh, where are we up to? Oh yeah. Um, yeah, so your encouragement is awesome. So many of you have been encouraging us and after we visited your GCs, texting us and messaging and that's been really amazing. It's been really, we feel really connected to the church family here and uh, please continue to do that and we'd love to keep hearing about what God's doing in your lives and how we can pray for you guys. And yeah, consider visiting us, consider joining us. Um, if you have a heart to reach out to yeah, the Philippines, um, please come chat to us. Um, as Maddie mentioned, yeah, we have a commissioning service on the 23rd of September. We'd love it if you guys would come. It's a normal anchor service gathering. Um, but yeah, we'd love it if you'd come and pray for us and commission us and send us out um, that day. And finally, just, yeah, some prayer needs right now. Um, obviously, yeah, we're, we're adjusting to being parents and it's really fun, and you don't get much sleep, but it's awesome. And um, yeah, so pray for us, that um, for our marriage, that we would just continue to be gracious and patient with each other, and love each other well, so we can look after Izzy well. Um, pray for Izzy, that she will, um, yeah, just keep growing well. She needs to put on some weight, and so yeah, just pray that she would be able to put on the weight before we leave. Um, and for our families, yeah, they're grieving. They're really struggling. And so please pray for them as they let us go and free us up to do this and let go of Izzy as well. Um, that's a tough one for them. Uh, and finally, um, please pray for the Philippines. Um, yeah, there are, you know, I look down at little Izzy and there are many girls um, her age already being sold and used and um, it's heartbreaking. And so, yeah, we just... Please pray for the kids and the women and the boys. 
um, yeah, pray for the people that we're seeking to reach out to, that God would protect them and that he would fill our hearts with um, love and energy and that ultimately God would um, save people in the Philippines, that he would draw them to himself and that he would be light in the darkness. That's our prayer for the people. So please pray for them um, and that God would do amazing work as we partner all together in this mission. Thank you. Thank you, guys. You're such an inspiration to us. We love you. We're going to miss you. And uh, not really looking forward to the commissioning service on the 23rd of September. If you guys have been at Anchor for any period of time, you have known how much of a blessing Scotty and Ruth are. The thing I love about these guys is they're not waiting to get on the mission field before they start their mission. They've been living this stuff out in their everyday life already. And so, um, yeah, we, we, we love you guys so much. Um, I, I want to commend them to you. I really want to commend them to your uh, financial consideration. So please take this card. Don't leave them on your chair. Take this home. Let this stir your prayers. Let this stir your generosity. If you want to give, there's an email address you can email on the back there, info at pioneers.org.au. And they will send you some giving information. There will there'll also be a link online, or you can sign up for their prayer newsletter and uh, find out the information that way, all of the givings online. So please, um, please do that. Anchor is contributing financially as a church, as a part of our budget. Our family is going to be supporting them financially, personally as well. And I'll invite those of you who feel led to support these guys to please prayerfully consider giving to them. Uh, and I want to suggest it's, this, is a, this is a great investment to see the darkness pushed back in uh, these parts of the Philippines is not money wasted. So please prayerfully consider your part in supporting these guys. I reckon we can kick this 30% in the next four weeks um, as, a, as a church. And there are also partners outside of our church as well, but we want to own these guys. Anchor has a vision for supporting a few missionaries really well, and um, I would love the, the vast majority of their financial support to come from this church. So... Um, I'm going to pray for these guys. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to respond in a number of ways this morning. The first is we're going to respond in the Lord's Supper. There are four stations around the room with bread and grape juice. We invite those of you who love Jesus, uh, who are reminded of the whatever it takes attitude that he had to lay down his life for your forgiveness, to come and celebrate this meal this morning. Our prayer team is up the back. They've got orange lanyards around the neck. They would love to pray for you. And finally, we're going to stand and worship our great God together. So I'm going to invite you to stand now as I pray for us, pray for Scotty and Ruth and Izzy, and pray that all of us would have this risk-taking, faith-filled, whatever-it-takes attitude that Jesus requires of us. So let me, let me pray for them and for us as well. Father God, I thank you that you're a God who knows the costs of what it takes to give up everything to see people encounter your love and your grace and your mercy. I thank you that Scotty and Ruth exemplify that. I thank you for what is ahead for them. And I pray that you would meet every need they have in abundance. I pray that you'd prepare them and their families for the sacrifices of saying goodbye. I thank you for the willingness of grandparents and mums and dads to release children to go and share the good news. What a, what a cost, what a sacrifice. Now pray that you would continue to help Izzy to put on weight, for Scotty and Ruth to grow into what it looks like to be parents for the first time. God, I pray that you would go ahead of them. We pray that October, they would be able to go, that they would reach full support quickly. And we ask God that as we send them, 
that we would be a church that would support them, love them, care for them, and do whatever it takes to play our part in seeing the gospel proclaimed on the other side of this world. And for us, God, as we think about what you're calling us to as a church, whatever next step you have for us to step out in faith, we pray that you would move us and stir us by your spirit. We love you, God. We, we give our lives to you. We worship you. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen, amen. Let's worship together, church.